Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Uh, if you could all stand for the reading of the Word, uh, just have a couple scriptures here this morning. Um, when my um, when I was 18 and I first started preaching, uh, my dad told me to preach like my hair's on fire. Um, and I don't know if he was being uh, joking, but I have no choice but to preach with my hair on fire. Um, so maybe my hair will catch on fire today. We'll see what happens. First um, Peter chapter 1, verse 17 says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And then Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to preach this morning about the throne of grace. The throne of grace. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we love you and we worship you. You are wonderful, Lord. You are good to us. We pray that, Jesus, during the service that you would meet us here and speak to our hearts, God, as we come to worship you and to hear what you have to say to our hearts. Bless this congregation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. In 1741, there was um, a very famous sermon that was preached. And this sermon was given by a man named Jonathan Edwards. And this sermon started a movement throughout the Americas during that time. We didn't have our independence yet, but this one sermon started a whole movement, and the historians call it the first great awakening because America had fallen into um, moral laxness, um, sin, and this sermon single-handedly shook the foundation of America and called it back to God. And the title of this sermon, and get ready for it because this is how they, this is how they preached back then. You never hear this today, but this is the title of the sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. 
And just hearing that title makes me want to come to the altar and pray. <laughs> um, in this sermon, Jonathan Edwards, he, and you can go and read it. I, I was reading it just this week and just processing some of the things he was saying. He published it in a book, and it, you know, we have it. Um, his, his way of using language to visibly uh, picture, you know, the fires of, of hell, and he would repeatedly was, you know, putting an image in the, the congregation's mind that they were, you know, hanging over the, the flames of hell, and, you know, they could, they could feel its heat, and the only thing that was stopping them from going there is, you know, God, and so they must repent and turn towards God. And I'm going to read his, you know, the whole thing is like, you know, you're just, you're just, whoa, you know, you can feel just the, the intensity of it coming off the pages, then he includes one paragraph at the end, and I'll read you the end of his sermon. He says, and now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ has thrown the door of mercy wide open and stands in calling and crying out with a loud voice to poor sinners, a day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming from the east, west, north, and south, many that were very lately in the same miserable condition that you were in and now in a happy state. Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. So he, he gives this and he gives just one sentence, fly from the wrath to come. And the legend goes that as he was preaching it, the congregation was visibly um, you know, convicted by this, by this preaching. And the story goes that people would cry it out from the congregation, you know, you know what, what, what do we do? You know, how, do we, how do we flee this coming wrath? And this sermon launched the first great awakening in America. And I think the idea that Jonathan Edwards was trying to capture was the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And I think this, the way that he did it, you know, I don't think that is the most um, best image of God. They, they did things a little bit differently back then. But I think he captured just a picture of the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord swept throughout that congregation. It began to spread through the entire Americas. And people began to, to repent and to, to come back to God. These, these evangelists would ride on horses and they would go from, from meeting to meeting just preaching, you know, repent, repent, repent for the wrath of God is coming. The day of judgment is coming. And they would just preach these sermons. And it started a whole revival in America, this idea of the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, this idea is laced throughout Scripture. You can hardly read a chapter without this, this piece of, you know, the fear of the Lord. I think it's pictured in Proverbs probably the best. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want, if you want wisdom, if you want to 
to know how to live your life, you must understand the fear of the Lord. And so what is, what is the fear of the Lord? Does it mean that we should, you know, live our lives as, you know, puny ants with God in a magnifying glass looking, you know, to sear us at, at any moment? Is that what it means to live in the fear of the Lord? I don't think so. Not quite. But if you look at the word in the Bible, it carries that connotation of literal fear, afraid, terror. When you, when you read that word, it's, I'm not trying to um, soften it at all, but I want you to feel the weight of the word. It, it carries that idea of fear, of, of, being, of being afraid you know, inside of your soul. It carries that idea with the fear of the Lord. But does, does that aspect of the fear of the Lord apply to the redeemed people of God? I'm not so sure. At one extent, it does. But I think we, God shows that part of him because we have an adversary that walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. James said, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, that demons also believe and tremble. Because they know the fear of the Lord. They know the terror of the Lord. They, they see God in his, in his fire, in his, in his victory. In, in hell, they must have been celebrating when they, when they crucified the Messiah. They thought that they had truly won. But Paul said if the rulers of this age would have known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Because as they were you know, raising a glass to killing the Messiah... All of a sudden, the door to hell is destroyed, open, and there standing a risen Jesus with a fire in his eyes, come to proclaim the victory of the Lord and to take the keys away from the devil. That's the fear of the Lord that the enemy feels. They, they feel his power and his, and his strength and his victory. They feel that. But for the people of God, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to live out our lives fearing the Lord? I have been wrestling with this question for weeks, just trying to, to understand it. I've been reading about it in the Bible. I've, I've been looking around just at, at different things, trying to find out what does it mean to fear the Lord? And... It can be explained in part, but, and I will, but this concept in the Bible can really only be experienced. I can, I can give you scriptures of the fear of the Lord. I can explain it in a way that you know, our language allows us to, but it's, it's one of those things that if you've been walking with the Lord for a number of years, an amount of time, you know what I'm talking about, to fear the Lord. And so, a way to describe it is holy awe. And reverence for who God is. It's awe of who God is. It's reverence for who God is. The Bible declares that God is holy. And holy means that he is separate from us. And that he is all good, all powerful, and worthy of our praise and our adoration. It says that God is holy. 
And when we see his holiness, when we get a glimpse of of who this God is that we truly worship, the only thing that we can do is just bow down and reverence and awe to the king. The idea of worship in the Bible literally means to bow down and to lay your head down before God because he is holy. So to fear the Lord means to live with that constant reverence for God in the heart. Yes, the Bible calls God has called people friends of God. Abraham was called a friend of God. He called his disciples friends. Judas was a friend of God. And what happened to Judas? Was it that he got too familiar with Jesus and he thought that he was just his buddy who would answer a prayer whenever he would pray or just do what he wanted him to do? Did he not get a good grasp of who this Jesus was, that he was God in the flesh. So yes, God is our friend. He sticks closer than a brother. There's times of sweetness when you'll be praying and the presence of the Lord will come and fill your soul and you'll begin to weep before the presence of God. And in your loneliness and in your brokenness, God will come as a friend and he'll put his arm around you and he'll talk to you through the word and just in prayer and he will be that comfort to you. But God is God. He is holy. He is powerful. He is the almighty God. Don't become too familiar that you get buddy-buddy with God because he is holy. God is holy. He is different. He is transcendent. He is otherworldly. He is not from this world because he created this world. He is God. And to live and to walk in the fear of the Lord is to live with that constant reverence, that constant awe that I can't figure this God out. He is greater than me. His ways are higher than my ways. I want to know him. I want to know what his spirit is saying. I want to feel him. I want to go after him and understand what and who God is. He is holy. And the fear of the Lord is to live in that holiness, to live in that awe of God, to just bask in his presence and gaze upon his beauty and just to be in awe of his presence and to live in this fear of the Lord. It is an ongoing revelation that can only be experienced through entering in to relationship with Jesus. You can only really understand it when you enter in to walking with the Lord. Because someone whose heart has been hardened by years of sin, they may run away from God because they are literally afraid of him. They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of what's going to happen to them. And like I said, the fear of the Lord carries this idea, but if they would only enter in and see the glories of God. That when you come and enter into a relationship, you find out that the fear of the Lord 
is a beautiful and a holy thing that you get to live in this reverence. You get to live in this awe for God. It sets you free that you get to live as God, as your Lord. And you bow your knee and you say, yes, Lord, whatever you want for my life, I will do it. If you remember the scripture I read at the beginning, Peter said, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. He says, since you call on a father who judges. See, God is a judge. God will judge sin at the end of all things. The white throne judgment as depicted in the book of Revelations. God will judge sin. Some will be in the presence of God for eternity and some will be out of the presence of God for eternity. There is judgment with God. But Peter said, you call on a father who judges. The judge is a father. So when he goes to judge, it's not as though he is sending people to eternal separation from God because he just wants to. But he loves us so much that he's not going to force us to enter into relationship with him. He loves us so much, he's not going to force anybody to love him. But as a father, a broken-hearted father for his people that have forsaken him and gone after their own way, a way of sin, he gives you to your own desires as a father, and he judges according to what you want. Because at the end of all things, it's either we say to God, thy will be done, or weeping, he's going to say, thy will be done. God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's given us the ability to choose him or to choose to worship ourselves and the things of this world. And so I can only hang on to on judgment day that it's the father sitting on the throne. That it's the Father who's going to judge. It's the Father who's going to judge. Because I know that Him as a loving Father. And I've decided to follow Jesus. And I'm just doing my best to live by faith. And all I have to bring at the end of all things is say, Lord, you are my Father. You are my Father. And you see, because we cannot be saved by our own good works. In that sermon, Jonathan Edwards says, he said that our ability to save ourselves is like a rock falling through a web of a spider. That's the best way that we can try to save ourselves. It's not going to work. But if you live by faith, if you walk in faith, if you walk in faith and let it just consume your soul and everything you do, just living out your time here in faith, at the end of all things, you can say to the Lord, Lord, I did my best and I lived by faith because it was your righteousness. It was your holiness that was living and working inside of me. It was not my own goodness, but it was your righteousness allowing me to live by faith. And so Peter says, since you call on a father who judges, live out your time as foreigners here in what? In reverent fear. Live out your time on earth in reverent fear. Again, to the person who is lost, they would read that and cower and tremble before God in fear of what might happen because of their sin. But to the redeemed, the fear of the Lord, we think of his holiness. We think of his goodness. 
we think of his blessing. And we know that the Lord is our master and he is our Lord. And so we bow our knee and we say, Lord, thy will be done. And so we live out our days here in reverent fear. Then the writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, and in the Bible, the word therefore is therefore a reason. He says, let us therefore, because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and was all points tempted as we are. He says, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Because, as I said, God is a judge and he sits on the throne. But it is a throne of grace. It is a throne of grace. Of grace. When he judges, he judges from the throne of grace. And in walking with the Lord, the fear of the Lord, it may start from that sense of terror. You know, every kid, if you grew up in the church, you were afraid that the Lord would come back at any time. You know, you would get lost in the supermarket and you couldn't find mom. And you you thought, I knew it. I missed it. I missed it. You know, and you might be looking for your sibling and you may find them. Well, that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything because you know your sibling. And starting the fear of the Lord, it's, it starts as that, as that terror, but when you enter into it, you begin to see the heart of God. You may see him as a judge from the outside, but when you enter in, you start to see that it's the Father who judges. You start to see his love and his grace and his kindness and his mercy when you enter in. Charles Spurgeon once said, When I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought sin a trifle. But when I knew him to be my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought that God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion... I smote upon my chest to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. Because when God is just in your mind a tyrant, it's easy to sin. When we enter in and you find that God is so good, so loving, so compassionate, it breaks your heart when your heart is not where you want it to be with God. And so God is a judge, but he is also our father. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Father, he takes, he takes upon his shoulders your burden, your yoke, your sin. And in divine exchange, he gives you his righteousness. And you, he gives you his holiness. And you take upon that burden and in his light because he's a father who loves his children. Second Peter 3.9, he said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is not willing that any should perish. He does not want any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance because it's the Father who judges, and he judges from the throne of grace. He wants all to come to repentance. And so we have these two ideas of God. We have him as judge, and we have him as father. And where do we live? We live somewhere in the middle. We live somewhere knowing that he is the judge and we live somewhere knowing that he is a loving father and we find the middle of that and we seek him through prayer. I think it's pictured perfectly with Moses when he comes before the burning bush and he can see, he can see the fire of God coming from the bush and the Lord speaks. He says, take off your sandals for the place that you're standing is holy ground. I don't know if Moses was afraid that the fire was going to consume him, but he took off his sandals because the place that he was was holy ground. And it's a symbol that when we are in the presence of the Lord, we must reverence his presence. We must come into his presence and stand on holy ground. And Isaiah, when he was taken up into the heaven and saw the heavenlies, when he saw the throne of God, he saw the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And he came close to the presence and the glory and the holiness of God. And what happened to Isaiah? He said, woe is me, for I am unclean. And when we come into the presence of God, when we come into the closeness of the Holy One, we start to realize our own sinfulness and our own abilities to try and be good. And all we can say is, Lord, woe is me, for I am undone. And then what happened? The angel came and he purged his sin. He forgave his sin. And when you come close to the Holy One, when you come close to God, you may feel that sense of sinfulness inside your heart. But all it's doing is it's pushing you towards God. It's pushing you towards God. It's pushing you towards God to come and to repent of your sins and to give your life to God. If you're not where you want to be with God, take it up like Isaiah when you come close to his holiness. Just come before God, say, woe is me, for I am unclean, and then ask the Lord to forgive you, and he's going to repent. You repent of your sins, and he's going to wash you. He's going to wash you of your sins, and you could go down in the waters of baptism and feel the washing power of his blood start to come upon you, and then you're free from your sin. You're free from the bondage, and he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his holiness so that you can walk in his power, that you can walk in his grace, that you can walk in his mercy, that you can live an overcoming life. 
because you got to live somewhere in the middle. You've got to live somewhere in the middle, Life Church. You've got to live somewhere in the middle. Revere him as God, but know that he loves you as his father. Revere him as God. Thank him for his holiness, but he loves you like a father. He loves you like a father. He's going to die for you. He loves you like a father, but don't take it as Judas. Don't get too familiar with his love, but reverence him in awe of his presence. Someone needs to lift out your hands and feel the holiness of God. The holiness of God is rushing into this room right now. Just cry holy to the Lord. Feel his strength. Feel his power. Feel his holiness. Feel it. Let it surge through you. And then as you gaze upon his holiness, you're going to want to be like him. You're going to want to be like him. For it is he who calls you is holy. You also be holy. Huh? holy 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 it's the lord god almighty the whole earth is full of his glory the whole earth is full of his glory the heavens declare the glory of god his glory is everywhere it's written on our hearts it's written everywhere that god's glory is here and so we must fall and we must tremble before his holiness let the fear of the lord come into your heart Ah. I was at I was at General Conference a couple weeks ago. We had a night where the fivefold ministry was released to the United Pentecostal Church. And the prophet Jason Sisko stepped to the platform. He began to preach from the book of Joel. And he preached that the fear of the Lord is returning. He preached what Joel preached. He said, Do not rend your garments, but rend your heart. That's don't just show an outward manifestation, but let it come inside of your soul. And he said, the fear of the Lord is returning. The fear of the Lord is returning. And it's being in awe of his holiness. I remember the first time being overwhelmed by the glory of God. As a kid, you're taught, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And you feel that love of the Lord that comes like a friend. But when you enter in, you feel his power. You feel his power. You feel the holiness of God. It was during a passing the mantle service. I was 16 years old. And we were singing a song called No One Higher. And I was playing the drums. And as we began to sing, Lord, we stand amazed in your presence. Surrounded by your mercy and love. Our hands are lifted high in surrender. Your grace is always enough. And I was playing the drums. And I felt the presence of the Lord. 
wash upon me. And I knew in his love as a father, but I felt his holiness as my God. I began to weep in the presence of the Lord. I couldn't even play the drums. And then we moved to the other movement of the song and the beat of the drum I was playing. And then I began to say, there is no one higher, no one greater, no one like her God. There is none more able. Christ our Savior, great and glorious. And the piano, piano began to play F, G, A minor, G over B, C. And I felt the cadence of the music began to wash over me in the beat of the drum. And I began to sing and praise my God. And then his holiness began to wash over me. And I began to realize for the first time that I serve the living God who is great. And that there is no one higher than our God. There is no one greater than our God. No devil in hell can ever stand against the greatness and the glory and the power and the majesty of our God. I began to weep in the presence of the Lord. I could not even finish the song. I ran out and I fell on my face and I bowed down and I trembled before the Lord and felt his holiness wash over me as I began to pray. God, you are great. God, you are holy. God, you are wonderful. God, you are my Lord. Someone needs to let the revelation of the fear of the Lord wash over your soul. You might have known him as a father. You might have only seen him as a tyrant, but know that he is a loving God and he's holy. He is holy. God is holy. And he calls us to be holy. He calls us to be holy. When you realize his holiness, when you realize his greatness, you feel the surge of the spirit start to flow through you and you understand what it is to fear the Lord. Because he rules from the throne of grace. We're judged by a father. And so, what happens when we let this truth overwhelm us? Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Does it mean that you have to try and save yourself? No. But it means to work on your salvation. Live it out. Live out your salvation. Don't just let it pass you by. Don't just let the glories of God come into your heart once and never experience it again. And don't delve into the mystery, but work on it. Live out your salvation with fear and trembling and then the spirit of the Lord will wash over you and it'll help you. The spirit of God will move through you and you can live as he has called you to live. John, my last point, John was taken up into heaven and he saw the glories of the throne of God. And he saw God, he saw the lamb who was slain. He saw the lamb, the perfect, spotless lamb that was slain. And in it, he saw the love of Jesus who would sacrifice himself for our sins. But what else did John see? What other aspect of God did John see? 
The elders said to him, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And then when you move past, God has forgiven your sins and you enter in, you see God as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He appears to you like a lion and you feel his roar and you feel his power and you feel his might and you feel the might of his spirit working and living inside of you. So when you come to God, yes, he's like the lamb that was slain, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when the lion roars, you must bow your knee in reverence to who God is because he is God. And then he will rule from the throne of grace. And grace is the power of God working inside of you. When the lion roars, he gives you his strength. He gives you his power. And then you can live in holy awe and reverence for God. Just invite the holiness of God into this room. Jesus. Lord, we worship you, God. We praise you, Lord Jesus. You are wonderful, Lord God. We want to feel your power, God, and your strength. I'm here to preach to somebody that's become too familiar with God. He's become too close like a buddy and you haven't respected him as Lord. Respect him as Lord. Fear him. Stand in all of his presence. He's God. He is God. He is holy. He is mighty. He is powerful. If your heart has become hard towards the Lord, just know that he is the Lord. At the end of all things, he will judge. He will judge, but he judges from a throne of grace. And if you saw God as a tyrant, if you've only felt condemnation, I'm here to preach to you that he's a father. He's a father and he judges from the throne of grace. He judges from the throne of grace. Let's all stand in this room right now. Somebody allow God to speak to you about the revelation of his fear. Allow the Lord to work on your heart. The prophet Joel said, rend your heart. Just allow the Lord to work on your spirit right now. The presence of the Lord is here to work on your spirit. The presence of the Lord is here. Stand with Isaiah as he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of your glory. Go there with Moses to the all-consuming fire of God. But the fire did not destroy the bush, but it burned it and it purified it. And stand with Moses and take off your shoes before the Lord and say, God, the place where I am standing is holy ground. Bow in reverence to the Lord. Let your heart feel his power and his strength. Open up your heart to the holiness of the Lord. Open your heart to the holiness of the Lord. And when you come close to the knowledge of the holy, you realize your own sinfulness. But it doesn't leave you there in that state. But the Lord comes and he purges your sin. And he gives you the spirit to live an overcoming life. Give in to the spirit. Give in to the power of God working inside of you. Give in to the Spirit. Bow in reverence to the Lord. He is holy. Come on, Life Church. I believe the holiness of the Lord is here. 
The holiness of the Lord is here. Let it move your heart. Allow the Lord to work on you. Paul said, work on your salvation with fear and trembling. Live out your time here in reverent fear and know that he will judge from a throne of grace. Know that he will judge from the throne of grace. The writer of Hebrews said, come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus has been there. He felt the infirmity. He felt the weakness. He knows what it's like. But he resisted and he knows the full strength of the temptation of the devil because he resisted it in totality and come before the throne of grace. Come before the throne of grace. The holiness of the Lord is sweeping through here. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.